I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. What's happening? It is the Wong Takes episode 8. A lot happened in the week of world, in the week, in the world of sports today. Excuse me. And we're off to a rough start, but let's get it going. And I think we're going to start with the story that everyone is talking about, and that would be the money fight. Mayweather-McGregor happened this weekend on Saturday. If you missed it, if you're hiding under a rock, or if you just missed it, Floyd Mayweather won by a 10th round technical knockout TKO. And wasn't much controversy over the ending. Technical knockout is where you don't actually knock the guy on the floor and he's out for 10 seconds, but the referee calls it off. And Conor McGregor, of course, being from the MMA, says he wants it to go longer. He wants to actually be knocked out. He said, let the man put me down or something along those lines. And that didn't happen. So what happened? Let's break down the fight first. So early on, I didn't pay for it. I didn't see it, but I live Twitter streamed it like I'm sure everyone else did and listened to the analysis for at least an hour after because I wanted to. But McGregor was sharp early. He came out with... He was definitely the aggressor. I think Floyd Mayweather only threw about four or five punches in the first round, which is kind of amazing to hear. But he kind of just let McGregor go at him for the first couple of rounds. McGregor got some nice punches in. He got a nice uppercut in in the first round. But it was just too much for him because McGregor is used to fighting in the MMA where you have five rounds of five minutes of pop. And most of the fights only don't go beyond seven or eight minutes. But in boxing, you have to really pace yourself. You got to go... If you go the distance, it's 36 minutes, but it's at least 10 minutes usually. And so he was gassed late on because Floyd kind of played rope-a-dope a little bit, let McGregor use up all his energy. In fact, in his only loss to Nate Diaz, McGregor excuse me, said that he was inefficient with his energy, and he repeated that over and over. So he was visibly gassed late. So Floyd went on the offensive, used a flurry of punches. He's landing them consistently. He got McGregor hurt, and that was all she wrote. And after the ninth round, which was dominated by Money Mayweather, he came out, had a good start to the tenth round, and the referee called it off. For kind of some context on what we saw, Mayweather landed 53% of his punches, and McGregor only landed 26% of his punches, even though McGregor threw 100 more punches than Mayweather did. So... We saw that McGregor was inefficient, and that was his downfall. He didn't land any major punches, and we saw that his punching power isn't the kind of punching power that we've seen him utilize in the MMA so nicely and get those one-hit knockouts. He couldn't do that with Floyd, and he didn't land flush enough. And I think that the fans definitely got their money's worth. There's a better showing than Mayweather-Pacquiao for sure. And I'm kind of interested, I know Floyd Mayweather is 40 years old, but I wonder if he intentionally waited out Connor for that amount of time before actually starting to punch and starting to really take advantage of McGregor's inexperience. If he was doing that just to make sure that people would stay attached to the fight, that he wanted this to last longer than a couple rounds, or that was actually his strategy to wait him out that long. Because it was at least four or five rounds before he started to, to hit his stride. Um, and other than that, the fight was pretty controversy-free. Everyone was kind of happy with the result, because for Conor McGregor and, by extension, the UFC, 
he was able to stay in there. He was able to compete with one of the best boxers of all time, definitely of this generation. And he landed some punches that people wouldn't, and people didn't think he was going to make any punches. I think at one point the odds were two fifty to one that McGregor, or forty to one that McGregor didn't land a punch, but he did. And even Mayweather conceded that quote he's a lot better than I thought he was end quote. Of course, referring to McGregor. So really, he came out and shocked some people. And but he's probably going to go back to the UFC now because if he had faced an actual boxer that was up and coming, he obviously would have gotten pummeled early they would have taken advantage of his misses because he only connected on a quarter of his punches and that's against a slower fighter even for one of the best defensive boxers of all time Floyd Mayweather and as far as Floyd and by extension his realm boxing Floyd gets that magical 15-0 to pass Rocky Marciano as the greatest undefeated champion and he says he is officially retiring now so this is not, hopefully he doesn't come back out of retirement because according to everyone, he didn't look that good in this fight. And also boxing keeps its reputation alive still because if Connor came in and beat up on Floyd or just beat him in general, not only would that shock the world, but it would hurt boxing's credibility because if an MMA fighter can come up and get a knockout or even a decision win against one of the best boxers of this generation, that kind of hurts the credibility of your sport. And... Both of them get a lot of money. According to an estimate, Floyd made about $200 million from this fight, including the fight purse, including the pay-per-views, including the tickets. He's expected to draw on about $200 million, putting his career earnings over $1 billion, which is kind of amazing to think about. And Conor McGregor's expected to pull in about $100 million. So he is not getting a modest paycheck either, and I wonder if this will set a precedent for him making more money once he goes back to the UFC. So the money fight lived up to the hype, and that is all for that. Okay, so we go from one humongous story to another humongous story that we started last week, the Kyrie Irving trade to Boston, and new developments have come out that this is still a developing story. So we might have a Kyrie to Boston Part 3 episode. I don't think we'll name it that. It might be named that, but... That'll be coming out probably next week. And if you missed it, the trade was the Cavaliers were going to send Kyrie Irving to the Boston Celtics, their top competitor in the Eastern Conference, in exchange for Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, a young big man, Ante Zizic, and a 2018 first-round pick, unprotected first-round pick. And let's talk a little bit about the ramifications if this does go through. If For the Celtics you'll get a true bona fide superstar. Not to say Isaiah Thomas isn't, but he was still on the rise and becoming that superstar. Kyrie is an established, even for 25 years old, he's a true superstar. Even though you lose that homegrown appeal that Isaiah Thomas had with a lot of fans, that he became a big star here in Boston, even if he wasn't exactly from there. And it's going to be interesting to see the chemistry if Kyrie goes between the new faces. You got Kyrie, you got Gordon Hayward, Al Horford came on the uh, last summer. So that'll be cool. And they may start poorly like the 2010 Heat did. I believe they went 9-8 and eight in their first 17, even though they got LeBron, D-Wade, and Bosh. Because of chemistry, and that's what hurt the Heat early on. They didn't win the championship that first year with that super team. And the Celtics probably won't just because of the sheer competition that there is. But... It'll be interesting to see if Kyrie and Hayward can kind of sort out that deal, if Kyrie is the for sure number one option on the team, 
or if Hayward is the go-to guy in certain spots. As far as the Cavs, you have a clearly defined number two, because Isaiah is not going to be the first fiddle in a LeBron James-led team, as opposed to Kyrie, who kind of wanted his own spotlight, and Isaiah's had that for a couple of years in Boston. And also they get a defensive presence, which or which hurt them a lot last year, because that's why they went on that losing streak, or they won only half their games, I believe it was in March, was because their defense was just horrific, and they just outscored teams. But if they have Jay Crowder, that helps them have a more of a defensive presence that's more versatile and can expand from down low. And, of course, the Cavs can still compete with the Warriors, even though they lost Kyrie, as long as they have LeBron. And after next summer, eh, we'll see. But as long as they have LeBron, they can still win the championship. They can for sure still win the East, even though Boston will be a very clear competitor. And I think Boston will actually come out of the East this year if this trade goes through. But they still have a chance. And this is kind of a fitting trade if it goes through, because you have the summer of blockbuster trades, and now you have a trade between the top two competitors in the East. I don't think anyone saw this coming, because normally you don't just trade superstars between the top teams. But that's what happened, and it's actually probably unlikely to make LeBron stay beyond this year because we've heard rumors that LeBron is 100% gone from Cleveland after this year, after his contract expires, and he has an option of where he wants to go. Even though this trade helps get some younger pieces for the future, and even if that 100% report is not exactly true, the fact that there's that much dysfunction in the organization and he's that sure, even if he's 70% sure he wants to go. That's probably not going to help that much. But this trade was going to go through, except the Celtics, or the Cavs, excuse me, are concerned about Isaiah Thomas's hip. So he's had a recurring hip injury that has come, that came up in the playoffs, and the Cavs, after doing their own physical work, decided, hey, we're not really sure about his hip, so we want an extra piece, whether that be get that first-round pick protected so that they can ensure that they get a top pick in next year's draft, or they want another young piece, like maybe a Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum that the Celtics got. So if the Cavs are able to get that piece, this will for sure solidify that they won this trade, which is kind of hard to believe because if Danny Ainge, which is a savvy veteran of the GM game, and he's accumulated all these picks, especially from that Nets trade a few years back, and if the new Cavs GM, Kobe Altman, if he can make this trade, that'll be a defining moment of his managerial duties early on. Okay, our annual blast of wonderfulness and humanity in the world for topic number three, the Little League World Series. If you missed it, I've been saying that a lot for some reason, but you'll have to excuse me. The winner was Japan, the team from Japan, Tokyo Kitasuna Little League. They defeated the Texas kids, the Lovekin Little League, I think it was. Sorry if I got that wrong. And they won 12-2 via Mercy Rule in the fifth inning. The dominance of these kids from Japan, it's crazy. They have 10-hour practice schedules. So this is what allows them to win so much. And there's this kind of a line between we stress so much in America, but especially overseas where they want to strive for excellence in everything they do. And there's this line between having a social life and doing other things and having just your extracurriculars. Because these kids, every weekend and every holiday, they practice for 10 hours from dawn to dusk. 
And it seems kind of insane to think about, but we have to say, do we, how much do we want it? How much do the kids want to have this kind of excellence? How much work are they willing to put in? So I don't know the specifics of that Japan team, but if the kids love it, then go for it. But if not, we kind of have to see how much emphasis do we put on winning for our kids. And also, we've, I've seen that some people are kind of down on the sportsmanship side, which seems a little bit extra. For example, after a kid hits a home run, the other kids high-five him while he's on the base pads, even though they're on the other team. And some people don't like that. But I always think that sportsmanship is always good because even if the sportsmanship is a little forced or the kids are a little bit, I don't know about soft is the right word, but even if the kids are a little too sportsmanlike, it's always good to instill those values in kids. So even if they don't take it all in the future to adulthood, at least they'll take some of it. And that's never bad for kids to have those positive role models, those positive values. And also these kids are unsullied by adulthood. So amid all the divisiveness and hatred in the world, you still have a meritocracy at its heart at the Little League World Series. Everyone is good at baseball and they can communicate about that and language barriers are broken down with Google Translate. You just got these heartwarming moments and even if they're a little forced on us by ESPN, they're just still good to see in the middle of August when there really isn't much going on in sports. I mean, I love baseball, but if that's all that's happening... You need a little bit of a something to fill the void. Okay, after that one, number four, John Jones tests positive for drugs again. The UFC fighter tested positive for Tarina Ball following his UFC 214 win against Daniel Cormier. And he could be stripped of the light heavyweight title that he won, although no decision has been handed down yet. And we're probably not going to know for a little while because right now they're testing his B sample for drugs and we might not know that for a few weeks. So I'll keep you updated if I get something about that. And if he ends up testing positive for this, this is going to devastate his legacy and his future in UFC because this is his second time caught doping. The first time was his original second matchup against Daniel Cormier. And a few days before the fight, he got busted for drugs, and the fight had to be called off. So the first time he got caught, everyone was kind of like, okay, we'll suspend him for a year, and when he comes back, this will be a great redemption story of a guy who got villainized a little bit, but now he's come back to take his rightful belt. But the second time, this just hurts your legacy and ensures you as a doper. People will not remember him otherwise if he's banned from the sport. Which sucks, because according to Dana White, the president of the UFC, quote, John Jones is one of the most gifted fighters that I've ever met, maybe the most gifted fighter that I've ever met, end quote. So if you have a guy who's, say, like Barry Bonds' legacy, Barry Bonds, everyone remembers him as a great home run hitter, but everyone also remembers him for the PEDs, and there's an asterisk next to his name at all times. Even I don't necessarily consider him the home run king because of the drugs he took. You can't deny that he was great, but this sullies how great he was if you take away the, or if you add the drugs to his legacy. And also, you have to feel bad for Daniel Cormier because this is a combat sport. You guys are kicking each other and punching each other and just going at it. And if you have a drug, drugs directly hurt the other person. For example, if you take PEDs in baseball, for example, you hit the ball harder. That just enhances your performance. It doesn't affect anyone else or that doesn't hurt anyone else physically 
But if you're boxing and you get gigantic muscles from drugs, that hurts the other person more and that puts them in actual danger. And that's never good. And that's why testing for drugs, great work from USADA, the US Anti-Doping Agency, that's why testing for drugs is so important in boxing, in UFC, in any other kind of mixed martial art or combat. So hopefully this is just, or hopefully John Jones is innocent and he can keep his light heavyweight title and he can continue fighting. But if not, unfortunately he may get banned from the sport or face a very long suspension. And the last major topic of the day, number five, college football deals and some new deals for some big schools. So Clemson and Dabo Swinney this week agreed to an eight-year, $54 million contract. And Louisville and apparel company Adidas agreed to a 10-year, $160 million contract. So the size of these deals is probably at some point going to bring up the issue of college athletes and being paid. And this has been a hot-button issue for years and years and years especially as college football and basketball in particular have grown to the stature and influence that they have come to grow to. And you have scandals coming up from merchandise and just putting your likeness out out there. I feel college athletes should be paid and eventually somehow, some way they will be paid because there's just too much going on that eventually you're going to get to this sort of amateur pro-ish status because college sports are like a job and Josh Rosen, the quarterback out of UCLA, a few weeks ago drew a lot of attention when he he actually made a comment uh, also about schools and SAT scores and college football teams. But he also said trying to do schools and sports is like trying to do two full-time jobs, which makes sense because college is – everyone talks about college being fun and everything, but there's hard work in there too. And that and then the strenuous schedule of football – where you have spring practices and you have the actual season, it's rough. And you see this in some players, even college basketball and college football players can't afford the necessities. Like Nigel Hayes out of Wisconsin, a basketball player, made a lot of news when he was raising awareness about how he can't afford some basic things like sometimes decent food. However, actually getting college players to be paid would be hard because you need a union, a collective union that can stand up like the NFLPA has with the NFL or the NBA Players Association. It's very hard for players to unionize. In fact, the National Labor Relations Board uh, declined to grant these Northwest athletes from Northwestern employee status in 2015. So they tried to apply to become employees so they could form a union, but they were actually denied that. Because the NCAA, they want to keep these amateur status of their players because they want total control over their players' likeness, over their players, what they do, what they sign, what they get paid for, so that they can reap as much of the benefits as they can from the system. And it could be called, considered exploitative, although some players, for example, of the lesser-known sports, like maybe lacrosse or gymnastics, it's good to get that recognition even if you're not paid because you can get more of a platform, you can get more benefits. But for players like NCAA football and NCAA basketball where there's gigantic revenue generated, I think you're going to have to eventually pay the players. And there could be some sort of minimum salary that they all get that's kind of like a, a living wage. And you wouldn't necessarily have to give everyone a ton of money 
but you should at least pay the players enough so that they can live. Okay, that wraps up our main topics for today's episode. But let's get to our segment, The Quick Take. If you missed it, I will read off the first topic that has broken recently, and I will talk about it. Okay, report. The San Francisco Giants have strong interest in Giancarlo Stanton and a possible trade. Wow, what a turnaround for the Giants. They were at the top of the world, winning three championships in five years, and now they're the second worst team in baseball and 40 and a half games back in the NL West, partly due to the Dodgers being great this year. But otherwise, Giancarlo Stanton, I think the biggest thing if you want to trade for him is obviously his contract. He received a 13-year, $325 million contract from Miami a few years back. And if you want to get him, you also have to probably take that contract. And you're going to have to give up a lot of players if you want to get him. So for the Giants, I don't know who exactly they'll have to give up, but they'd probably have to give up one of their core players, like a, maybe a Joe Panic or a Brandon Crawford, because you're not just going to get him for free. But if you do, the Giants are going to fill a big hole for them, which is power, especially playing in their ballpark. Power, they don't have it, and they don't they haven't necessarily needed it, but now that their pitching isn't at the top of the league, they're going to need someone who can knock it out of the park and actually pose a home run threat, which the closest they had to that was maybe Michael Morse, and he careers may be over after a fight a few months ago. So if the Giants want to get Stanton, that would help them a lot. He's hit 50 home runs. He hit 50 home runs yesterday, and they would need him to maybe make another another run for a World Series, but they would have to give up a lot, and I'm not sure how much that would benefit them in the long run. All right, thank you for listening to this episode of The Wong Takes. You can send in fan questions. Send in fan questions. I will answer them on the show. You can do that by emailing thewongtakes at gmail.com or check out our website, thewongtakes.wixsite.com slash thewongtakes. Wixsite is spelled W-I-X-S-I-T-E. There, you can send us fan questions. You can also see an archive of every episode so far. I believe this is number eight. Also, check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash thewongtakes. You can support the program. You could get your name in the description of a podcast, or even I could shout out your name at the beginning of a podcast or at the end of a podcast. I think it'd be at the beginning of the podcast. That'd be cool. And also, you can send questions from Patreon. So you don't have to donate, but check it out at least. Email questions. It's free. You can get on the show. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.